Good morning and welcome to the Trusted CI webinar for January 24th, 2022. I'm your host, Jeanette Dopp-Heidi. Trusted CI is the NSF Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, and these webinars are part of its mission to deliver high quality, actionable guidance regarding cybersecurity to the NSF community. More information about Trusted CI can be found at trustedci.org. Today's topic is populating the heck fat as an academic research provider. Our presenters are Charles Eskew and Kyle Early. Uh, Charlie is the manager of the Extended Information Security Team at Indiana University, and Kyle is a high-performance computing security engineer at the Ohio Supercomputer Center. Before we begin, I have a few items to note. First, this presentation is being recorded. Second, participants are welcome to ask questions during the session using the chat box. Um, just click on the chat icon and you can type in your question. And uh, we also are setting aside time at the end for Q&A as well. And with that, I'll hand things over to Charlie. Charlie, good morning. I'm actually going to take this over for Charlie. Apologize yep. for that. Sorry, Jeanette. Should have passed it over to you and let you know about that. Um, thank you for the introduction there, Jeanette. Um, welcome, everybody. Thank you for joining our call today. Um, as Jeanette mentioned, I'm Kyle Early, uh, HPC Security Engineer for the Ohio Supercomputer Center, and I'm joined by uh, Charlie Askew, uh, Manager of the Indiana University's Extended Information Security Team. Uh, so let's jump right in. Going to quickly go over our agenda here just so you guys know where we're going with the call today. Uh, we're going to cover higher education collaboration and action. Um, we're going to talk about the challenges we have at hand. We'll talk about our key engagement stakeholders. We're going to give a quick brief overview on the HECVAT, what it is and why it matters to you. Uh, we'll then cover the OSC environment as a whole um, and just our specific challenges around security assessments and, and why this engagement really came about. Um, we'll then break into the HiSec work group, uh, working group. Uh, the contributions in the community that is involved in that. Uh, we'll then cover some key takeaways and tangibles for the community as a whole. Uh, we'll then talk about our next steps in 22 and really beyond because it's going to be an ongoing process. Uh, and then we'll then wrap up with question and answer at the end. Uh, but feel free to use chat throughout the uh, whole presentation. Uh, Charlie and I will try to field them as we can if it makes sense. Um, and we'll also address everything at the end if we do miss your questions. Uh, so with that, Charlie, I will pass this over to you. All right, thank you very much, Kyle. Um, first of all, uh, thanks for joining us here today. Uh, I wanna set the tone a little bit. We have a kind of a different webinar here. Uh, we actually had, I wanna tell you the story about how this came about. Uh, There's actually an issue. Kyle brought this up uh, with the trusted CI, reached out for some consulting. Um, I was brought on as a subject matter expert and uh, we came to find that there was a lot of good work that we came across and what we were able to produce. And we decided that it would be valuable to host a webinar. So that's why we're here today. Uh, just a brief introduction before I set the tone for, for why we're here. Uh, Trusted CI I said uh, was really the, uh, the supporter of this engagement. They're the ones who brought us together. Uh, uh, Kyle and I uh, worked closely together in this engagement and it was only because Trusted CI connected us and uh, linked us up together that we were able to achieve what we did. So uh, Kyle, if you'd move on to the next slide, I'll start talking about why we're here and what we're gonna be talking about today. So um, anybody who has been doing risk assessments um, already knows that it is an overwhelming and daunting task. Um, there are many questionnaires out there and just like higher ed used to use uh, 
uh, unique questionnaires across the community. Uh, many areas or users of the academic research providers or like Ohio Supercomputer Center um, use their in unique questionnaires as well. So this is a challenge that Kyle and others are still facing uh, and we continue to face this in higher ed. So really it's the questionnaire overload and the burden that we're facing. And really uh, what we identified is, um, you know, we're all quite unique in higher ed, but uh, we, you know, we're like small cities and uh, it's really hard to do uh, questionnaires that are specific to our area and even much more so uh, with large facilities and supercomputing facilities. Uh, just because of the context and nature, uh, they don't really match very well. So what are our complications? What are we, what are we working on here? Um, we've really overburdened staff. Um, each of these individual questionnaires trying to attest, trying to uh, create relationships with vendors or customers is very is a really daunting task uh, for those in this field, those of us who assess and those of us who have to populate and fill out and maintain the heck fact. So um, what we found is, and what Kyle identified many, many times, is that there are misaligned questions in these questionnaires that set them up not to fail, but it's not the right context. And so it ends up creating these conversations that don't need to happen. So um, what, are we, what are we trying to get to here? We're gonna answer a couple of questions that we were looking for. First one, can academic research providers save time and better represent their environments by standardizing on and using the HECVAL tools? Uh, you'll get the answer later on. And the second question is what can the trusted CI do? And also, uh, uh, the HISIC HECBAT working group in general, what can we do to support higher ed vendors and assessors alike? So that's what we're going to get into. Um, if you could move on to the next slide, I'm going to go ahead and do a little introduction here. Uh, I mentioned HECBAT in the last slide a couple of times. I know many of you in the call probably know about it, have heard about it, uh, but I just want to give a, just a quick brief over the next few slides, let you know what it is, what it's about, what we're doing. Uh, just so we can be on the same page. And then I'll hand it over to Kyle so that he can talk about his side of this story. So um, when we're talking about the HECVAT and what it is, um, some of those problems that we identified in the previous slide, burden, uh, unique questionnaires, um, too, much, uh, too much overhead, uh, we were trying to solve those with the HECVAT. And we started on this. Um, I could give you the quick rundown of the tools, but we tried to address this with multiple tools. There's four versions or three main versions and some supporting tooling to go along with what the HECVAT is. Uh, just so we're clear, the HECVAT, which is the Higher Education Community Vendor Assessment Toolkit is just that, it's a toolkit. Uh, there's a full, which is for since uh, many, many questions, it's, a, it's the, the whole shebang. Uh, we have an, a light version, we have an on-prem version, and we have a, a tool we call triage, but it's probably gonna be changed up. It gives a little bit of wrong context, but it's essentially an onboarding tool. So what, what has happened is uh, we've created these over time. So it actually started, just a, a rundown of the history, started with a set of presentations, uh, a meetup of individuals back in 2015. We published the first version 2016, which was the full. Light came out in 17. Um, we expanded the scoring functionality, made it more useful in version two in 18. We released the on-premise tool in 19, and we just released a major version 3.0 in Q4 of 2021. And so just a little side tip here, it actually was in 
pre-release when this engagement started. So we were actually able to use this uh, for a little test run uh, to get us going. So what we've always wanted to do is we've always, we have been and always are going to be focused on areas where we can add value, smooth out snags in the risk assessment process and better support and guide our expectations for the client, for the vendor community. So Kyle, the next slide, I'd like to introduce just members of the core team. Um, you, there's more contact information later in the, in the presentation today uh, when it's a little more relevant to contacting us. But I really just wanted to give these individuals a shout out for all of their hard work and dedication to this project. Uh, really, John Allen has been our you know, fearless leader since the beginning. Uh, John, and you can see Nick Lewis uh, presented a presentation 2015. Uh, my colleague Ian Washburn and I uh, presented at RIM that same year, and that's where all of this started. Uh, we have Josh Callahan since 2018. He came in with the scoring features out of the University of California system. Uh, of course, myself, I've been here since the beginning and very proud to be a part of this. And then we have our staff liaisons. Uh, we always have Ren Isaac, Educause, and Internet2 behind us, uh, always supporting us through this effort and the core contributors there, Brian Kelly, Nick Lewis, Kim Milford, and Cheryl Swinson. Uh, Kyle, next slide. I'll give you a, just a little bit of heck bat by the numbers. So you already know that we're five years old. Honestly, we never thought that we would make it this far, that we would have progressed this far like we have. Um, you can see it's taken a huge team of individuals to make this happen. Uh, we give acknowledgments of these major contributions in the back of all of our tools. Uh, you can see that in the acknowledgments tab, but we have over 120 volunteers making this happen. And that doesn't include all of the people who have contributed to the crosswalks and sent us emails and uh, had meetings, ad hoc meetings and conference discussions, all those. So many thanks to all of those volunteers and contributors. Um, I say 135 plus institutions worldwide. We know that there's uh, all over Europe, Australia, Canada, um, many other countries are using this. We have 135 listed on the Educause site. Um, those are only listed because we know about them or people told us about it. So we're pretty sure that there are many, many more out there. If you are an institution that's on here today or watching this video and you have not listed your institution on that list, uh, please get a hold of us, uh, contact information a little bit later, but please let us know so we can get you added to that list. And then really the key thing, a thousand more, thousand or more hours of effort. If you look at it over how many people, 120 years over or 120 volunteers plus five years, the amount of effort put into this uh, has been massive. Um, so we will continue, just like Kyle said, this will continue in 2022 and far beyond. Uh, but just letting you know how much effort has gone into just this one effort to ensure that the community can benefit as a whole. Uh, next slide, Kyle. And then let me just... Uh, set you up a little bit of what we do at the HECVAT team while I was in on this engagement. And then I'll hand it over to Kyle and let him tell you his side of the story. Um, but what the HECVAT team does is we, we do what we do really well, but we're not the experts every, in everything. We are not the subject matter experts. Um, we need to identify the areas in which we are not and engage trusted partners uh, where 
they may be able to help us. So I just wanted to put this first one, or the one on the right here is in common. We actually looked at them uh, because identity and access management is so pivotal to or crucial to uh, protecting our assets in the cloud. Uh, we engage with in common, uh, their technical, uh, I forget their name, the TAC, in common TAC, and uh, uh, they volunteered to help us out and they were the sole uh, providers of all those questions and the context within. So we really appreciate their efforts. Um, the other piece here and why we're here today is the engagement with the trusted CI. So trusted CI reached out uh, to uh, my leadership just because of the ex or the experience that we have with uh, HECBAT at Indiana University. And we got engaged uh, in this. Uh, many of the core contributors to the HISIC team all you know, do side engagements and then we try to trickle those things back uh, to the main group so that we can all benefit as a whole. And we did exactly that in this in, uh, engagement. Uh, so I got to interact with Kyle, had a great time working with him and uh, I'm gonna pass it over to him now so he can let you know a little bit more about Ohio Supercomputer Center, their background and what they had to do in the engagement. Go ahead, Kyle. Thanks, I appreciate it, Charlie. Uh, as he mentioned, I just wanted to kind of throw this slide in here just to give you all a quick overview on OSC. Some of you may not be familiar with the Ohio Supercomputer Center, who we are, who we support, or just really in general, our size and nature. Um, so the Ohio Supercomputer Center is a statewide resource. Uh, we provide supercomputing, cyber infrastructure, uh, research and educational resources to really a diverse state and national community. Uh, everything from education to academic research, uh, just to general industry customers and also state government. Um, at the Ohio Supercomputer Center, our duty is to empower our clients. Uh, we want to lead and support strategic research activities. Uh, we leverage a lot of in-house exceptional skills, um, things like our research staff that specialize in the fields of supercomputing, computational science, uh, data management, uh, biomedical applications, um, and a host of emerging disciplines. Um, we're constantly learning and evolving and adding new staff to our, to our organization just to continue to grow. Um, and just to give you guys a brief overview on the size of our center, for those of you that are interested and, and maybe want to come up with some relation to us, uh, these data points are from our last fiscal year, 21. Uh, so they're slightly out of date, but they still give a really good representation of us as a whole. Uh, we support a little over 130 educational institutions right now, uh, 39 companies, 25 nonprofits and government agencies uh, for a grand total of just under 6,000 total users. I know on here it's like 5,800, uh, but we are up closer to the 6,000 range now. Um, our production capacity includes our two main compute clusters, Pitzer and Owens. Uh, those two combined uh, last fiscal year totaled for just under 240 million CPU core hours uh, and about just under 5 million huge mem uh, core hours were used and a little over 1 million GPU hours. Uh, we have about 230 software packages uh, and our storage is about 15 petabytes on disk currently today. Um, moving on. So I mentioned uh, we're a state entity um, and due to that, we follow our security framework from the Ohio State University. That is basically who we report up to at the at OSC. Uh, the framework that OSU has built um, was stood up off of NIST 853. Uh, it heavily focuses on 38 key risk areas. Um, it's pretty in-depth. I don't know the total question count this year, um, but previously it's been upwards of 300 questions we have to go through. Uh, we do this yearly as a self-assessment and we do a healthy cadence of external audit and internal audit review for compliance regularly. Um, I wanna talk a little bit behind you know, the need 
um, behind these security assessments, such as HECVAT. Um, you know, knowing all that information that I just told you about our security framework, you know, it, it sounds great and dandy, um, but it's really hard for external researchers that are outside of OSU, um, also just other um, higher education institutions or organizations. It's hard for them to trust, you know, what I just stated is actually truly the case. Um, if you look at two different implementations of a security framework, you're going to find some differences. Um, and it could be because the controls are really just open to interpretation. You know, everybody out there is really just reading these controls. And it's how you, you know, you read that statement and how you apply it to your environment is how you're going to implement that control. So that's going to be different from organization to organization. Um, and also, you may prioritize specific control areas um, while leaving certain areas open to more risk. Um, thus, here's the need for these common spender security assessments that can help us vet these controls and the implementation at the organization. So I want to talk about a little bit how this whole engagement came about. Um, so OSC regularly receives these requests to complete these vendor security assessments. Um, our organization is fairly lean, a fairly small organization. I'm the sole security resource for our center. Um, and I get these types of assessments pretty frequently, and it can be a little... Uh, you know, a little bit of a burden on myself and also um, hold back the time to research uh, for researchers and just work in general, um, because I'm going to have to take time out of my day to then go through these assessments and get back to you. Um, it could take me a few weeks, depending on what my workload looks like. And, um, you know, it just really holds up people. Uh, so we also found more often than not, when you're going through these security assessments, the focus is really on enterprise type controls which you know, NIST 853 kind of hits the nail on the head for that. Um, it's a great framework to follow, um, but at times it's not very applicable to research facilities like OSC. Uh, when we complete these surveys uh, that aren't the best representation of our center, we then have to rely on that requesting organization or researcher being flexible in the review uh, and understanding how our environment differs from a standard provider such as you know, AWS, Azure, um, any other major you know, corporate enterprise provider. Uh, we operate very differently from them. While we have some similarities, there are some key differences. Uh, this is why we really engaged Trusted CI from the start uh, to help us assess these issues we had with assessments and really plot the best path forward uh, for research facilities as a whole. Um, it didn't take us long at the start of our engagement to kind of come to the conclusion that using the HECVAT uh, as it relates to higher education was going to be our best path forward. And that was what we kind of put our feet on the ground and, and started marching towards. Um, I mentioned previously that a lot of these questions in the security surveys won't align perfectly. Um, and when this happens, you know, it may result in either a negative score or a, um, a negative risk impact rating against your organization. Uh, the first step in our engagement was to review our previously completed HECVAT Lite 2.11 and talk through items that we call pain points. Uh, pain points are questions that result in the negative score that I was just speaking about um, or items that really just didn't apply to organizations like OSC. So I'm, I'm not going to go through all of them, but we just wanted to include a few main pain points from our engagement. Um, I'll quickly talk through these just so you guys can get a, an overall understanding on what we're looking at. Uh, so the first one here is talking about, uh, do you employ single tenant environments? I'm sure there's people on this call that are maybe chuckling to themselves right now. Um, Supercomputing facilities by default are shared resource centers. That's kind of you know why we started doing what we're doing. We're, we're here for research. We're here for sharing, uh, that kind of thing. Um, while we do have you know some use cases where people want individual condo use that's a little more private, um, you know that that can happen. But it's not the typical workflow that we see for most researchers at OSC. Um, nor do they want to pay for that kind of service compared to a shared resource. 
Second pain point I want to touch on here is uh, physical and logical separation for institutional data. Uh, this again kind of reiterates a similar point from the last question. You know, supercomputing facilities by default are shared resource centers. Um, logical separation is very common. Um, however, it is not common to perform physical separation. Um, and I mentioned, you know, we can do condo use, um, but that is just not really the default uh, path forward for most researchers. Uh, next pain point I want to touch on here uh, is going to be uh, database encryption. Um, specifically, this question wanted to know if you could pick and choose, you know, what data types um, in your storage are encrypted and how they're encrypted. Um, a center of our size um, and with the staff that we have, um, we really can't be that specific with data encryption. Um, we kind of just take everything as a whole. Everything's encrypted in storage and at rest. Um, so that, that kind of covers that point there. Uh, but we can't really do pick and choose database encryption. Next pain point I'm going to touch on here is uh, will institutional data leave institutions data zone? This was just a really odd question for me to kind of wrap my head around from the start. You know, if someone's choosing to use a resource center like OSC, you know, their data most likely is going to have to leave their institution zone to get processed at our facility. There might be some cases out there where your software, is, that's not really required, but in the research environment, you're, you're definitely going to see that. And lastly, I'm going to touch on the remote data access. This was specifically pertaining to um, employees and admins at your, at your organization that have access to that institutional data. Um, in today's world, this was extra weird to think about. Um, you know, due to COVID, a lot of us are working remote now. Um, and really, our shared resource center is accessible worldwide. Um, so, you know, you could really say that, yes, that data can be accessible external, you know, from employees if, if needed. Um, so, you know, technically this gave us a negative impact and I'll touch on that in a little bit more on, on how that changed. We got a question in here if you want to address or we can wait. Sure, go ahead. What is it? I'm curious to know if you intend to try and support work requiring CMMC level three in this environment. So we are early in the stage, at least at OSC, I'll speak from our behalf. Um, we are looking at supporting CMMC. Um, currently, we're not there yet. Um, we're, we're starting that review process this year. It's a part of our FY22 goals. Um, I'm not sure what level we're going to reach yet. Um, we're also likely going to lean on Ohio State University. We, they actually have a whole responsible uh, Office of Secure Research that's going to kind of help us through this path on, you know, what does our center need to meet in order to support our clients? Um, I know we have had a couple project requests uh, asking if we can support CMMC data, um, but it still is kind of early in that infancy stage, so we haven't seen too much demand yet, um, but it is something that we have to keep in the forefront of our mind and, and kind of see if, if we're able to support it. Um, and OSC recently stood up our protected data environment, and that is kind of what we're nailing down is going to be our CMMC environment, but we still have to go through all those controls and look at the costs associated with audits and, and that kind of thing before we make that decision. I don't know if Charlie or anybody else wants to chime in on that, but I think that hits it for our work. I'm good, Kyle. I'm pretty sure you were the target for that question. Cool. Just making sure. Didn't want to leave anybody out if they had something they wanted to give some input on. Uh, so I'll move on here. Um, this next slide is kind of talking about all those previous pain points that I just spoke to and uh, the changes we saw about in our 3.0. Uh, 
Um, so during our engagement, you know, I, I identified these as our main pain point items. Um, and I was very happy to find out from Charlie that most of these had already been handled. Um, you know, we hadn't seen the 3.0 version yet, but as soon as I got my hands on it, I saw firsthand that all these items that either negatively impacted me previously, or I had to do some serious explanations to security offices was no longer really an issue. Uh, so I'll quickly touch on these. Um, from the single tenant environments, this control still does exist in the 3.0. Um, but it was heavily revised. It now requires you to expand on your environment as a whole, kind of give a big environment overview. Um, and it no longer negatively impacts you should you answer no that you don't provide single tenant environments. So that was good all around. Uh, the next one here is the physical and logical separation. Uh, this one was completely removed in 3.0. It really was a legacy question that was consolidated, split up into, into three or four different questions. Um, but they no longer are asking this straight up. So uh, that was good for us. The database encryption, this was also removed in the 3.0. Um, new questions were created that kind of spawned about from this item. Um, they better relate to specific questions around encryption at rest and encryption in transport. Um, so they kind of split this up and asked it in a better way that, that uh, is better for centers like us. And the institutional data zone, uh, this one was also removed in 3.0. Um, it didn't really relate to how typical providers operate in today's world. That, that's kind of the best way I'm gonna word that. Um, you know, it's very common in today's world that your data is going to have to leave your institution in order to, you know, to give it to another provider or use a service unless they're feeding you a black box to install in your environment. And the last one here, remote data access. Uh, this one was also removed in the 3.0. Um, you know, I mentioned in today's age and re the remote environment during COVID and also just, you know, supercomputing as a whole, you're gonna be remotely accessing that data from worldwide. So um, that kind of explains the removal and why I was happy on that one. Um, Charlie, was there anything you wanted to mention about the modifications or that were made in 3.0 that alleviated these or would you like me to move on? No, I think, Generally, for what we want to cover today, you, you covered it. Uh, if anybody is interested in knowing more, there are other webinars that have uh, that we've released uh, in the past few months uh, with the HiSIC group. So uh, there'll be some links uh, later on, but uh, please check those out if uh, you're interested in learning more. Cool. I'll move on and pass it back to you, Charlie. Uh, good deal. Um, I won't read this left-hand side, but essentially what it is is we do better when you guys tell us we're doing it wrong. So, and, and that's in the, the nicest way possible. So we can't do the heck fat effort. We can't do this work without the entire community. And so um, we are leading it. We are pushing it forward. Someone has to make these choices and, and do the work, uh, but we're not the only uh, big brains in the room. So if you're interested in learning more, I just want to take a moment to let you guys know how you can contact us, how you can contribute to the effort, uh, how you can learn more. So these are links. Uh, I see Jeanette's putting them in the chat just so it's easy for you guys to click these. Um, the Educause Connect is the new users platform or the new uh, user community within Educause. Uh, if you go there, search for Hecbat users. Uh, we have a community group that as of this morning was at 330 subscribers. So if you're an assessor, who is using the HECBAT in your institution. If you are a security engineer at a large facility or academic uh, research facility um, and want to know more about how you can populate this, how you can engage with the community, how you can better understand what you're doing in your environment, please join that community, please be vocal. And if you have any questions or comments, concerns, issues, um, 
not just about today, but about this topic in general, uh, our catch-all is HECVAT at educause.edu. So please contact us, let us know. Um, whatever your question is, whatever your concern, the core team answers these emails and we will engage with you um, as appropriate. So um, go ahead to the next slide, Kyle, if you would. And I'll give you the key takeaways from what, at least what we found were the key takeaways for the community. And kind of why we were doing the webinar here today in the first place. It's easy if we could have easily finished our engagement, written our reports, filed it away, Kyle would have been happy. But really, we want to tell you guys um, what we found, what we're doing, uh, what we need to continue to do, and how all of you all can uh, help us get there. So let me just uh, briefly talk about um, the Trusted CI framework, uh, Trusted CI, Jeanette and Jim Basney. Uh, helped us, uh, John Zage as well. I'll give him credit on this last one. Huge shout out to him. But um, there is a lot of, there were many, um, not deficiencies, but there were gaps in the trusted CI framework uh, that could use a bit more supplemental information, a little bit more background as it relates to risk assessment in research facilities. Uh, so we went through and that was added. Uh, that is already live. Uh, the HECVAT 3.0 support content, just talking about that is when we talk about support content, when you're using the HECVAT, uh, there's guidance on each of the questions, whether or not the default answers, whether or not you answer yes or no, what kind of information you should uh, reply with or contribute to the assessment so that uh, security assessors can better understand your responses. Uh, we improved that. Uh, there's also uh, the analyst reference. This is the reason for the question, the context, uh, the context of the question and what security assessors should be looking for. In this context, uh, we had written it for a traditional vendor that we would engage with, a cloud service provider, uh, but the context just didn't quite work out or just didn't, uh, there was just a snag when it relates to Kyle's and others environment in a large facility. So we changed some of those nuances some of the language there uh, to make that a little cleaner. Um, the improved assessment functionality, um, we've had a complication with the HECVAT for a while in which we security analysts were unable to override the responses of a vendor. So a vendor could say, uh, cleanly override the response. A vendor could say, yes, we do not do encryption in transit. And they would get the points, but the answer is not correct, right? That's, that's, not, uh, that's not in true faith. So what we did is in the analyst report, uh, there's new functionality there that allows security analysts uh, to read the additional information provided by those who populate the HECBAT and then to um, cleanly override them uh, within the tool itself uh, so that we can better have this negotiation of compensating controls or risk tolerance uh, between the responses for the assessors and the populators. So that's really what that's about. And then uh, tangential to this engagement, John's age was already here. So huge uh, shout out to John again, uh, but we were engaging in this uh, at the same time that we were trying to populate the crosswalks for the HECVAT light uh, with the HISIC working group. And uh, John stepped up, volunteered, and did the entire crosswalk for the Trusted CI framework, uh, for the Trusted CI framework, for this engagement, but 
took all of that information and gave it to the HiSIC uh, so that we could publish it within the HECVAT tool. And you'll see that in version 3.0, uh, one of the crosswalks that you can choose from uh, in the reporting is the trusted CI framework. And just, I'll say it again, huge thank you to John Zage, University of Illinois. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, with that, I will pass it back to Kyle and let him uh, share some of the key takeaways from this engagement from his perspective. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, just sort of dive right in just some of our key takeaways for OSC as a whole. Um, this first point here, academic research providers really need to consider standing, uh, standardizing our security assessment efforts. Um, and ideally, at least for OSC, I'm hoping to do that with the HECVAT. Um, it's really common with centers like us. You know, we're all understaffed. We all have limited resources. You may only have one security person like me. Um, you know, we're receiving frequent security assessment requests, and it can be burdensome. Um, you know, it's it's hit or miss how many I get in a year, um, but I can guarantee that every few months I'm going to get a new one in my email that I have to complete. And, and a lot of times that deadline's a week or less because they want to get that research on the ground and running. Um, so it can just be very burdensome on, on, on organizations. Um, so if we can complete a single assessment uh, that provides solid crosswalks between frameworks, um, just like what John Zage worked on for this engagement, you know, hopefully we can alleviate some of this pain around these assessments and just make it easier all around and, and decrease that time to science um, at organizations when security is kind of at an all-time high. People are really worried about security security, especially with institutional data. Uh, the second point here, almost all of our pain point areas that uh, we previously had with the HECVAT were resolved with the Lite 3.0. Um, and then finally here with our Lite 3.0 complete, uh, we are going to start looking at the HECVAT full. Um, I'm hoping to kick that off here late spring, early summer. Um, the reason is, is we actually support um, our new environment, which is our protected data environment uh, to support data types such as HIPAA, um, ITAR, export control, that kind of thing. Uh, so when you're completing through the HECVAT Lite 3.0, there's actually a question in there that asks if you support that type of data. If you answer yes to that, it then uh, directs you to complete the HECVAT full. So that is kind of our next plan here of action. Um, and I'll be working closely with Charlie, I'm sure, if I come across any new items in the full that I think are going to be problem issues. But um, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm, I'm pretty hopeful based on what we saw with the 3.0 Lite. Um, so I'm excited to get my hands in there and, and uh, hit the ground running with the, with the full version. Um, I think that hits all my takeaways, so I'm going to pass it back over here to Charlie. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, yeah, I'll just share a few key takeaways from my perspective before we close out here today. Um, really, from the HiSIC point of view, the HECVAT team point of view, uh, we've got a lot of work to do. And that, not in a bad way. This is a, a, a good effort that we need to engage in in 2022. Um, we know that... Uh, our documentation needs to be improved and accessibility to support information uh, needs to be improved. So that's really going to be the focus of our efforts in 2022 or 2022 effort. Um, primarily though, we now know that we have a third audience and that is higher ed vendors. So we've traditionally looked at, we have higher ed folks who are the assessors trying to share their institutional data. We have vendors who are non-higher ed, and they're just people who want to sell us things, and we need to have find or find some way to trust them with our institutional data. And then we have folks like Kyle now that we've identified that are on our team. They're on our side. They're trying to do the best that they can, uh, but what we're asking of them is a little too much. So what can we do 
to improve this moving forward. And a lot of that has to do with the documentation and just general support within the tool and external, maybe frequently asked questions, knowledge base, those types of things. And that's on our agenda uh, for production in 2022. Like Kyle said, you know, more than likely him and I will continue to talk about Hecbat Full. I am guessing that Jeanette and Jim will be very happy to help us in that engagement, and we'll do that later on this year. Um, so, but just in general, uh, the communication between the trusted CI framework, the just that supporting those supporting ties, the networking, the community that we have within higher ed, uh, want to maintain that relationship and make sure that we're on the same page moving forward. And really just to keep just something fun here at the end, uh, just to let you know, collaborating with your peers is fun, you know, in higher ed. Um, this is something that we've been doing um, for a long time. We love to share. We love to interact with each other. And um, we encourage you to reach out to us um, if you would like to contribute to the effort. So thank you very much for joining us here today. Um, I think our next slide is our Q&A slide, and we're happy to answer any questions or comments that you might have. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, we've got a question for me, and I'm trying to pull up the right page to respond to it. Um, the person's asking if an institution is performing a security assessment, could an institution engage Trusted CI to help answer any questions? Um, Trusted CI has an office hours option um, that is a program that we started, uh, I think it was early this year. Um, if you have a question or if you would like to meet with us directly uh, for some, some assistance, uh, you can request an appointment by contacting us with the contact link on that webpage. Um, and so we, we would look forward to hearing from you if you're, if you're curious to, uh, to talk to us. Yes, good. Um, other than that, do we have any other questions from the audience? We've got um, plenty of time. So if, if you have a question for Kyle or for um, Charlie, here we go. Um, HECFAT 3.0 removed some items and added new ones. Any pain points around the new items? For example, identity management and accessibility. I would have to dig up uh, the full 3.0 light response, but um, you know I don't remember any of those standing out as open items that negatively impacted us at OSC. Um, we did go through that full, uh, you know, that full light assessment, and I don't, I do not remember or recall any identity management or accessibility questions that kind of held us up. Um, it seemed like everything, from at least my viewpoint, was greatly improved with the 3.0, and I didn't really come across anything that. You know, there, there are items out there where I did take a negative score on, but, but the new way uh, that they direct assessors to review those answers and adjust that score, um, we haven't had an issue. And we've actually handed off our 3.0 light uh, to one university already that wants to use OSC. Um, and I, I didn't hear anything back. So, I, you know, no, no news is good news in my book. Um, you know, if someone wants to use us and request an assessment and I hand it over and there's no questions, I think my job's complete. So. I'll add one thing to that, uh, Jim, from the HISIC perspective, with any new tool, there's always some, oh, we didn't really think of that, or, oh, that's, that's unique to that situation. And we have noticed a couple of areas where a security assessor could get into a situation where they might, where it's not easily uh, interpreted 
the answers aren't easily interpreted. So there's gonna, we're gonna have some work to do or work cut out for us uh, to document those pieces specifically in the first, it was the first question, HLAA01 has to do with uh, the single sign-on and the ability for local and remote. So not to get too technical here, but um, there, there are a few areas that we would expect that there might be a few snags, uh, but we like to clean those up uh, in minor version releases throughout the year. Uh, we had one minor revision right afterwards because of that. Uh, so 3.01 is the current version of the HECBAT. I've got another question in here. Is there a crosswalk available from 2.0 to 3.0? Um, any other thoughts on longitudinal scoring or of vendor assessments uh, capturing improving maturity over time? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, Andrew, thanks for joining us here today. Love, love to see you here supporting the effort. So much appreciated. Um, we actually do. Uh, uh, we'll get those published out. We went through and we created a guidance document um, they are internal right now, but we'll get them cleaned out and they'll be published this month on the Educause site, Andrew. Uh, they're essentially a, a guidance document. If you're a vendor moving from 2.11 to 3.0, uh, we have those populated in full. Uh, essentially what the question is, was it retired? Did it get updated? Was it reworded? And what you need to do about that answer. Uh, we did that for the light and the full versions. Those are completed, just not yet published. Um, Long-term, you know, the challenges of our spreadsheet questionnaire is, you know, it's, it's um, adaptability, it's uh, adoptability is really a, a paramount to its success. Um, and so, but capturing that over time, uh, long-term storage of uh, HECVATs has always been uh, outside of the scope of the HISIC working team, but always uh, happy to talk with individuals like yourself, Andrew. Thanks for that question. Well, while we've got people typing or thinking of over any other follow-up questions they have, I just want to grab the screen real quick and talk about our next webinar. So um, our, um, our next webinar is going to be Monday, February 28th at 1 p.m. Eastern. It's, so note the time is different than our usual time. And our topic is going to be the guide to securing science scientific software. And this is uh, going to be presented by the Trusted CI Software Assurance Team. So we're happy to share the results of a year-long um, project that Trusted CI had been working on. Um, and so uh, be on the lookout for a registration link for that. And with that, do we have any more questions? Um, Jeanette, I didn't see any more questions, but I, I will follow up to Amit's uh, question earlier. Uh, maybe not for trusted CI per se, but please, if you're uh, if you're assessing a HECVAT from a vendor or you're someone who is populating the assessment for an institution, by all means, you could join the HECVAT users group. We will help. Uh, peers will help you in that assessment, how you interpret an answer or how you should respond. And of course, if you're a vendor, um, we have many vendors email us at hecvat and ask us those specific questions. Can you help us with this or that? Um, we have to be mindful of how much time we commit to helping out uh, those different communities just because we are a team of volunteers. Uh, but that really... Uh, points to our priorities for 2022 and the documentation efforts and the availability of information to support the mission. 
Great. Thanks for posting that, Jeanette. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, they tend to get lost in the long chat. So I just re repeat it over and over again. <laughs> That's fine by me. Um, I've got another question here. Do you want to speak toward how you go about communicating a HECBAT request when all they do is provide software that might be installed in your data center? Yeah, so Scott, thanks for that question. Um, that's one of those, you could use the on-prem tool, but it's probably one of those situations where it's software that you have access to. If it's if it's being installed on a, on a server, an operating system that you have administrative rights to an insight, then HECVAT might not necessarily be appropriate. Um, it would be appropriate if they're maybe sending you an appliance Maybe it's just a tool that you're putting in your data center and you might be able to monitor its traffic or some security controls, but you might not have insight into seeing the administrative functionality within that might be more of a candidate for the on-prem tool. Um, if I'm off point though, Scott, you know my contact information and be willing to talk about that more in depth. Um, if you don't already have it, it sounds like an opportunity to create some kind of a like decision tree or something for which flavor of HECBAT you're looking for. Yeah, we tried to put, if you look at the triage tool, we tried to start, you know, the, an attempt has been made to go down that path. Uh, it needs to be fleshed out and, and matured to ensure that it's, uh, it meets the demands of the community. Um, and then a follow-up. Um, how the vendor goes about PT or vulnerability scanning of the software. Yeah, um, I think it's beyond the scope maybe of the HECVAT. Uh, we are, there are other opportunities to expand the toolkit. Mainly it's, we've identified areas like microservices, app stores within the platforms. These types of things need to be addressed. Uh, we've not necessarily gone down the track of assessing specific pieces of software uh, when we have access to the administrative pieces. But um, that said, um, Scott, I'm happy to talk with you about that because there might be another opportunity to uh, collaborate with you or others. Well, and, and, and maybe they want to attend next month's webinar on software assurance. <laughs> so be Absolutely. on the lookout, lookout for that uh, notification. Okay, I think, I think we've got a good handle on the questions, but um, I'm just going to let uh, you, Charlie, and Kyle uh, say any final thoughts that you have before um, wrapping things up. Cool. I guess I'll go first. Um, I just want to give thanks to everybody that really assisted with this whole project. Um, I had a great time doing this and also presenting this information to you all. Um, I know my email was on the intro slide. So if anyone has any questions uh, to bring to me, feel free. I I'm always open. Uh, inbox always open. Um, I always reach out myself to other, other people as well when I come across things that I'm not too sure of. Um, so again, yeah, inbox is always open. Reach out and I, I appreciate it. And I'll just say the same, uh, always happy to help. My contact information was on the first slide, uh, whether it relates to assess using the HECVAT or contributing to the HECVAT or getting put in touch with somebody who could help you. Um, I'm open to helping you in any way, shape or form. So please reach out to any of us. Um, if it's a general question, please HECVAT at edgecause.edu. We'll get you to where you wanna go the quickest. Other than that, thank you very much for joining us here today. Much appreciated. Yes, thank you both. Um, thank you for the engagement. You are a just an absolute pleasure to work with. Um,
for those of you who are curious, uh, I will probably get the slides and video officially out within a day. So if you want to share this with your colleagues, if you're interested in the HECVAT, please um, take this opportunity to, to, to share that video link. And with that, I think I'll end the meeting and I uh, hope you all have a great rest of your day. Thank you, everybody.